episode of Sophia's Choice, a Golden Girls podcast. If you're just joining us for the very first time, my name is Brent, and this is the podcast in which I discuss episodes of the Golden Girls. This week, I've got two guests with me. The first <laughs> guest is my very, very good friend, Ski. How's it going? And also joining us this week is his very, very good friend, Alan. Mm-hmm. Hello. Thanks for having us. <laughs> yeah. You're very welcome. Very welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the show. Um, glad to both have you here. So let's go ahead and before we get started, why don't you tell us a little about this episode, Alan? Okay. So you see, I mean, it would, would, would a full recap of the episode work out okay? Lovely. Okay. Long time yeah. listener, first time <laughs> guest, I assume. <laughs> Well, I know that the recaps I hear on these shows are quite detailed in general. They are. So, well, you do your own recaps at home, don't you, Alan? Well, well of course. You know, I like to summarize every show that I watch. <laughs> so. He plays the home game of the podcast. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, sometimes I put on radio plays myself where I try to imitate uh, what I hear, you know, on the podcast I listen to. That's so a good idea. I, I, I recount it for my family, um, but I... But I bleep out the swear words. You gotta do something with all that black pantyhose you've got. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't know if I can get behind that censorship, Alan. Yeah. But, uh, well, you know, I, I go for most of it. Mm, fair enough. But well, uh, as you may have noticed from uh, Brent giving the introduction today, <laughs> this, is, this is not quite our standard format. And since Brent decided, after chiding me for not giving <laughs> the format in the past. Normally, Ski does our recap. Today, I will be doing the recap, but we'll still have our favorite lines, MVPs of the episode, and of course, we'll still rate it at the end out of eight slices of cheesecake. So. I do like that you co-opted it entirely. Yeah. That's one of those things that, you know, whenever I'm tasked with doing something, I like to editorialize it just yeah. a smidge. Well, hey, listen, you got to practice for that solo podcast you're getting ready to do. So. Exactly. You're just honing your craft still. Exactly. I'm not quite there yet. Right. But uh, yeah. ready to fly solo. <laughs> you don't want to, what, fly too close to the sun on wings of wax or whatever. Exactly. Exactly. So. Anyway, so uh, today uh, we are discussing Season 3, Episode 10, The Audit. Yeah. Uh, original air date for this one was November 28th, 1987, mm-hmm. uh, which is the 8th birthday of, uh, actually I take it back, the ninth birthday of one of our uh, Ski and I's best friend, James. Okay. You know James, but you know, I yeah. wouldn't say that you guys are friends. Yeah. You're more acquaintances, I would say. Yeah, I know James, and I saw his wife at the zoo one time. Oh, that's true. So basically, best friends then. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I've done one other recap for the show uh-huh. um, back in December. And uh, this one had the same writer and same director, uh, Winifred Hervey. So you just copy paste. Yeah, right? I was. It was, it was nice. just some keystrokes on the old file. <laughs> oh yeah, really? I mean, I was able. This was a breeze to get done with having that knocked out. Um, <laughs> exactly. And Terry Hughes, of course, as he has directed every episode of season three. Correct. Mm-hmm. Now, do you know if James has ever listened to this uh, podcast? I don't know if he has or not. I doubt it. But um, as Lisa. 
probably not. But I'm guessing there, not. There's a much better chance that Lisa would have, though, um, just because she has a crush on you. Not me. (laughs) 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 But maybe a different podcaster that you might know. (laughs) Me? I don't think she knows. Well, she didn't see at the zoo. (laughs) (laughs) So we'll say yes. Yeah, probably you. So does Lisa have a crush on you? We joke that she does. There's no specific evidence of it (laughs) other than that... um, she seems to like ski better than she likes her own husband. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, most people like ski better than they do other people. So <laughs> yeah. ski's a very likable person and yeah. very kind and generous I hope with his time. that's not true. I would, this, this is nothing against James, you know, but I wouldn't do a podcast with him. Yeah, well. But I, I'd do one with ski. I, I mean, I would do a podcast with James, but if I had to choose between mm-hmm. who I'd podcast with, it would be ski. James, though, he would actually be great on the podcast because he's he's – a smart guy just like you two but he also has a real asshole streak to him that he would be the good foil like uh, i think things sometimes he'd be the antagonist foil. he yeah. would be like he would be the guy people would tune in like oh, i hate that james but he's funny you know and he says some interesting things but i disagree with his views i always he thought i was the villain of the piece well you're still likable oh. <laughs> highly likable and the thing is is people can tell that your villainy is uh-huh. in jest yeah. whereas <laughs> James's isn't. Okay. Uh, he has <laughs> plenty of good qualities, but the villainous parts of him mm-hmm. are definitely the parts of him. Gotcha. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're uh, not as much in jest as what yours are. So, gotcha. but anyway, so uh, I got to start off this episode though yeah. with just a quick sentiment, um, yeah. and I did type this out just so you know. Okay. God damn it, Blanche! Damn you! Damn you to hell! We'll get back to that later in the episode. <laughs> <laughs> So I just wanted to throw that out there as my first reaction <laughs> to the episode. So we start off a uh, act one, scene one. I believe the opening uh, shot this time was in the nighttime uh, mm-hmm. when they pulled up to the uh, pulled up to the house. Uh, we start off in the kitchen with Sophia cooking uh, in a time BC before COVID. <laughs> we know that because Dorothy samples her sauce off the spoon, and then the spoon just goes immediately back into the sauce yeah. that she's cooking up for the. I think roast. they just like to share their disease. Yeah, I, yeah. well, you know, in fairness, it's, a, it's going into a hot sorts. pot, probably getting killed. Well, you know, it's a it's a shared household. Yeah, so you're allowed to. That's true. That's true. Yeah, so she would be. You know, uh, they'd be part of her pod, if you will. Exactly. <laughs> now, if they had gone over to George's house next door. Right. <laughs> that <laughs> then all bets are off. But uh, Exactly. I miss when Paul Dooley is on. What's that? I miss. Oh, sure. I, I thought you said this one, Paul Dooley. Like, did I miss something? <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a piss poor recap. <laughs> right. He was the entire third act. The yeah. crux upon which the plot twisted. <laughs> yeah, I'd be like, boy. I'm normally pretty with it when I'm watching these shows. But. <laughs> Paul Dooley played the auditor. What are you talking about? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. well, we'll find out more. And um, Stan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, man, Both halves of that Paisan sandwich. Imagine how good, how great Golden Girls would be if you replaced Stan with Paul Dooley oh. and, and all the Paul, you know, if... If Stan was the if Paul Dooley was the ex husband, yeah, Golden Girls would go from one of the greatest shows of all time to the exactly. greatest show of all time. Or Alex Rocco, yeah, Alex Rocco would be great, but he's not Paul Dooley great. Yeah, is no, he? no, Come he's on. not. He's not. And I just think that Paul Dooley standing next to B. Arthur, mm-hmm. you know, 
that would be something that's like, oh man, imagine an 18 year old Paul Dooley and an 18 year old <laughs> B. Arthur <laughs> fooling around in the back of a car. Comic gold. Oh, I thought you were just saying like that the sexual tension would just be too much if you were thinking about a young Paul Dooley. <laughs> <laughs> that's one thing I'll say that Paul Dooley, you know. I, I would Im- I could imagine a young Stan being more handsome than a young Paul Dooley, mm-hmm. but uh, that. yeah. Anyway, trying to think of who Paul who out is it Alex Rocco? Yeah, he was the other guy that she was uh, the married guy that Dorothy was with. Um, he was the gym teacher. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That didn't want Dorothy so to I leave. That, that didn't name. want to leave his wife. That, yeah, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. He wanted to have his cake and eat it too. He did. So. He did. <laughs> but uh, so, like I said, we're in the kitchen. Um, yeah. Right then, and exasperated. So Dorothy does sample the sauce. You know, gives it uh, high marks. Uh, like, nice clams, mom. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then an exasperated Blanche comes in, stating that it has been eight days since she last had a date. And Sophia begins to reveal what it's been eight days since she last did. Mm-hmm. And Dorothy implores her to keep that to herself, yeah. well, which I thought was a solid. Uh, mm-hmm. I thought it was a precursor to my favorite line of the episode. Okay, was it the next very next line? No. Okay. Then, Go ahead. Oh, well, I, I didn't write down that next line, but I think that Sophia says some of the effect of that's... That's the problem, yeah. Right, that's, yeah. Um, keeping, that she's it keeping it to herself. Yeah. Uh, but then... Uh, she's talking about poop, I think. I think that's a safe assumption. I think, I think it's poop, Alan. But, you know, yeah. I think we should have taken Dorothy's lead and kept it to ourselves. <laughs> um, but it's poop. I think she's... I think it's funny. Poop. I think... Poop is funny. <laughs> Listen, just because you're not the recapper doesn't mean that you need to try to derail me the way we do you each Sorry. week. <laughs> In all honesty, though, I mean, it's it's not hard to believe that Sophia is constipated. Sure. Because back in, you know, November of 87, this is well before Jamie Lee Curtis was making her poop yogurt. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> she, she, she didn't it's have the, the, the savior of the constipated that we have now. Exactly. <laughs> well, and all the cheese she eats on the pasta. That's true. You think? Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah constant. That's true. So. That's true. Now, uh, right after uh, Blanche's entrance, then we get... Do you like a good cold-cut meat sandwich, like with Italian meats and stuff? Sure, yeah. I do, too. Yeah, I'm a big fan. Um, I mean, when I used to frequent Subway, the cold-cut combo or the Italian were my two go-tos. I I was always happy with the cold... You're doing you're doing the keto now, so you probably can't have it. But Jimmy John's has this thing called the gargantuan. Mm. Oh, it's solid. Yeah, it's really really good. It's like like all their all their yeah meats, double it. Yeah, add cheese. (laughs) Yeah, it does sound good. good. Sounds like it'd be a good meal for me to eat. You know, because we don't do it. You know, like every day the the month or whatever. Do you like heartburn? Because you get that afterwards too. Yes, you do. You know, it's funny. I found recently. I don't know if I wonderful dessert. I found out recently, and this is something that, I don't know, I just, I think in general I'm a at least a moderately intelligent person, mm-hmm. but occasionally I have moments where I'm like, God damn it, I'm fucking stupid. Uh-huh. Um, Sherry and I, for Valentine's Day, okay. uh, we were both eating keto, but we were going to take a day off, and uh-huh. we got, uh, Sherry didn't want to go out, you know, we're still kind of in the yeah. keto time at this point, um, so we got food, just cheesecake from Cheesecake Factory, uh-huh. but we ordered like four pieces of it, because um, uh-huh. we were like, oh, we'll share it, we'll eat it over a couple of days, and the... Yeah. Kids are spending the night at my mom's and all that. And so we eat it, and, uh, you know, it's they're large pieces, and they're extremely rich. Yeah. So I ate, like, a piece and a half or something mm-hmm. like that, yeah. a large portion. And I thought I was going to die. Um, <laughs> because, and it wasn't like I felt like it was like a – 
not too long ago, I thought uh-huh. that I was having a heart attack, but yeah. it was indigestion. Uh-huh. And I was like, I think that's what this is again. It's just some yeah. weird, because I'd been on keto, then I eat mm-hmm. something very off keto and a lot of super rich food. Yeah, yeah. And um, and I thought Your like body so, was rejecting. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. we had fallen asleep downstairs, uh-huh. um, and when I woke up at like six a.m., like uh-huh. I was like just felt terrible i felt awful yeah and to the point where eventually after six hours of dealing with this i finally was like well i guess i need to go to med check or something because whether or not like i don't think it's anything life-threatening but i need to have something to help and when i go in and i tell the guy all the symptoms he's like oh you know i think it's um i think it's just probably bad indigestion yeah especially considering what you've eaten yeah i was like okay you know and then i felt like uh you know sophia when they had their house called doctors exactly (laughs) if i ate like that i'd be dead yeah and i felt i felt like i said awful and he was like what would you he was like you know tums and and asses like that they're fine but they're you know really really mild what you need to do is go get you know something like emodium or something your pepsid or something you know like a pill type thing that's going to be stronger and probably within a half an hour you'll feel you know better if that's the case and so so i did that and sure enough he was right you know half hour later and We ended up eating Chipotle for lunch that day, normal uh-huh. type food. Yeah. Everything went fine. Yeah. Later that night, I was like, you know what? I'm going to eat that other slice of cheesecake. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, yeah. and then sure enough, a couple hours later, I felt like shit again. <laughs> to where I ended up violently throwing up, uh-huh. which was good because it got it out of my system. And yeah. I felt better after that. But I was like, God damn it. You know, like I... I have a college degree, and I still <laughs> made the decision within the same 24-hour yeah. period <laughs> to it's, pound this cheesecake it's, again. It's not you, Alan. It's the power of cheesecake. I guess. But I was like, you know, I think I'm – and cheesecake, I have found – it used to be it, my favorite dessert. Yeah. But maybe it's because I always had small slices, mm-hmm. but it's too samey. So yeah. I feel like the first bite mm-hmm. is the exact same as the last bite, mm-hmm. and especially if you have a big slice. By the time you're halfway through, yeah. it's like, yeah, I'm – tired of this it's like now pancakes yeah it's just a law of diminishing returns exactly <laughs> you know you need a nice fazoli cheesecake that's a cut and do a tiny <laughs> little slice and you're good to go like i'm not agreeing with in this one instance i will agree with you that you know you weren't very bright mm-hmm. okay um i think generally you are in everything yeah um, but it's it's one of those things that it's the most romantic night of the year. Okay. You're sending the kids away and you're like, I'm going to eat a pound and a half of cheesecake <laughs> <laughs> and then go sweat up my bed sheets. <laughs> like, what were you thinking, man? Well, Sherry was sick. So I knew that the romance oh, okay. wasn't going to happen. Gotcha. So. Okay. Well, yeah. If that's, if that's, if I'm that getting some out of this the, night. Exactly. If that card's off the table, you yeah. know, like, if I ain't getting pound cake, I'm getting cheesecake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. No, I wasn't like, I wasn't trying torpedo a <laughs> potentially better option. I, get, I, <laughs> I bet we get uh, comments from Sherry on this one, too. Yeah, we, we may. We may. But, yeah. I already knew because of other factors that, like, oh, unfortunately, that was not going to be in the cards. Um, well, and plus, too, I guess. I never thought that that would be something that would cause me to feel like I have a history. Any the only the main reason that I'm on keto now is because I have a history of being able to eat a large amount of food, um, yeah. uh, far larger than a, a recommended portion of food. Yeah. Um. And so I didn't think I'd have any issue with it. Like even if it was on the table, I wouldn't think that it was going to cause yeah. me to feel in a way that well would eliminate it. But I got not a similar story. It's it's somewhat connected. But, like, I never really imagined that, you know, heartburn and stuff could be so bad either. But uh, back, way back in, in college when I was at Purdue, mm-hmm. 
when I uh, end up having appendicitis, I I been suffering all through the day, right? I think I've told right, you this story yeah. before. Uh, but for the listeners, and I'll recount Parchers again. Sure. <laughs> That's why I invited you on. That's right, right, yeah. I appreciate it, yeah. We discussed this over the phone. But uh, this is my feature. But uh, um, I've been sick all day, and I'd never missed any class. But for the first time, I was like, I can't. I can't get up. I just, I'm so, I feel so miserable. I'm just going to take a, a day to get better, and then I'll, Hit it fresh tomorrow, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't eat anything, didn't eat anything. And then I eventually go to dinner because I hadn't had anything to eat all day. Mm-hmm. And normally I was a pretty big eater back then. Oh, sure, yeah. I'm a decent eater now. But back then I worked out like twice a day a lot. Oh, of yeah. So could. I would pound it. So I got to the dinner table and my friends like looked over my like pathetic tray. I had like pears, like a small thing of pears. Like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> And I explained to him that I was feeling just like crap all day. And I was like, I'm not running a fever or anything that I can tell. I'm just, I, I just feel horrible. My stomach hurts. And he said, well, where does it hurt? And I kind of, you know, pointed the general region. like, And he just like, you should totally get that checked out. Mm-hmm. That could be appendicitis. I'm like, what? No, I didn't, I didn't mm-hmm. even really know what that was at the time. Right. Uh, but my, the, my head was like, I'm totally not going to the doctor. That costs money. <laughs> <laughs> But no, no, like we get two free visits per semester. I'm like, huh, okay, well, I haven't felt this bad in recent memory, so right. maybe I should go to the doctor and at least get checked out. So I got there, and they told me it was one of two things, either appendicitis or really bad gas. Oh, okay. <laughs> and I was like, gas? And like, oh, yeah, you'd be shocked how many people, you know, end up to the emergency room over you know, really bad gassing, it's heart issues or whatever. And then uh, flash forward a bunch of years, um, our daughter on Christmas told us that my heart hurts. And we're like, what? <laughs> and so we rushed her to the emergency room, and it was bad gas. Oh, really? And she just got in the emergency room just enough time for you to pay for the emergency visit, yeah, let out yeah. a big fart, and then she's like, all right, ready no, to go home. <laughs> so it, it's weirder than that. Like, let one So yeah. they were going to give her... Basically, some kind of intravenous mm-hmm. thing to help her, you know, calm down and stuff. And she just wouldn't take a shot. So they charged us for that medicine anyway. <laughs> Eventually gave her some pills, which she was able to take. Yeah. And we stayed there for like three or four hours on Christmas yeah. before we finally went home and she was fine. <laughs> Isn't that when you found out she was with a child? No, no, no. <laughs> that was I've, several years back. I like the I, I, gotcha. In my mind, I imagine you running in and grabbing the defibrillator yeah. <laughs> just immediately. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, now you don't realize it's not plugged in or anything, Problem but solved. you're just yeah, ready to get to shocking. Um, so, what did you use your second visit that semester for? I didn't ever have to go back. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, Ski's a man, Brent. He only goes if he's having a major. Yeah. Uh, I, when I had my kidney stones, I thought I had appendicitis. Like, mm. I thought I was going to die of a burst appendix or whatever. So yeah. I apparently, thought, I was really close to having yeah. it burst on me. Yeah. Well, I thought it was going to be something with my gallbladder this yeah. recent time, just because my mom had, had her gallbladder out mm-hmm. not too long ago. Sherry yeah. had, had a gallbladder situation, um, you know, a while back. And I, I think, think she, she caught a bad gallbladder from yeah, sharing a exactly. toilet seat with your wife. Right. <laughs> <laughs> As you do. Uh, it's the most common way. Um, but... But yeah, so I, I figured that thought maybe it was something like that, but anyways, so uh, so at this point, you know, we have the three in the room, and then our fourth golden comes in with uh, Rose coming in and asking the girls to guess what she'll be doing for three hours every Tuesday and Thursday night. Uh, Dorothy replies, 
cutting up your black pantyhose and putting on an Amos and Andy puppet show. Uh, and that Excellent leads us taste. in. Yeah, that leads us in. Dor- uh, Rose replies, "No, but that's a great idea." Mm-hmm. Which it's not, um, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> Got her Wednesday covered. <laughs> yeah, for a lot of reasons, but that does lead us into the second Alan's deep dive um, to go Ooh. for. Yeah, so joining Fess Parker. Fess is, up. Yep, yeah, is now uh, Amos and Andy. Uh-huh. So I don't know if you're. Are you going to adapt it to uh, that <laughs> as well? <laughs> are you still keep using Fess up as your? Can it just be fess up, Amos and Andy? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, for anybody who doesn't know, which I would imagine a lot of you don't, Amos and Andy is an American radio and television sitcom set in Harlem. The original radio show ran from 1928 to 1960, and it was created, written, and voiced by two white actors, Freeman Gosden and Charles Correll. So there's a radio show that lasted for 32 years. Yeah, 32 years. That like people was, were still listening to radio shows in 1960. I guess so. Yeah, I'm, I mean, it's still going strong at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if it was kind of like uh, the popularity of things like Bob and Tom or like Howard Stern. Well, I mean, you mean as far as what knocked out radio shows? Yeah, like, I would like, have to assume it's probably the popula- popularity of TV that knocked. Well, no, no, no. Yeah, I'm saying it's like a primetime type show, right? Right. Like, yeah. I'm saying drive that, time. Mm-hmm. I'm saying like it took with it like popularity to those levels. Like those are radio shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they still like hang around a long time. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the uh, Amos was played by Gosden, and uh, Andrew Hogg Brown was played by Carell, uh, as well as mostly incidental characters. And then when the uh, when the show did eventually move to television and black actors did take over the majority of the roles at mm-hmm. that point, um, Amos and Andy began as uh, one of the first radio comedy series and originated uh, from station WMAQ in Chicago. The Mac. Yep. Um, like I said, it ran from 1928 to 1960, and the television ad- adaptation was during that time from 51 to 53. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it continued in syndication from 54 to 66, the television show. Mm-hmm. But then it wouldn't be shown nationwide again after 66 until 2012. Mm. So it went off the air for 46 years, something like that. When it came back in 2012, what station was it on? It was on uh, your probably your favorite TV station, uh, Rejoice TV, an mm. independent television station and internet network in Houston. Airs, uh, it started airing weeknights on regular nationwide basis but six years later that tv station folded and there's just like a christian station I, I don't know i didn't really look any further into it but <laughs> I, I will say that there are currently no plans to re-release the series to nationwide television <laughs> at this point there was an episode of a uh, news radio where um <clears throat> you know jimmy james was giving um the staff all uh, christmas gifts or whatever mm-hmm. and like it was like exorbitant gifts and he's like oh you're getting a porsche and you're getting a trip to the bahamas or whatever and andy dick's character uh matthew uh got a a box of cassette tapes of amos and andrew oh, or really? whatever. <laughs> and he was hurt but then like at the end of the episode he finally realized that it's like uh jimmy james the eccentric billionaire had purchased amos and andrew like the rights to the oh. show <laughs> oh my <laughs> for him that's great and it's amos and andy just to so oh, you, yeah. I don't want you to sound like a fool. There's something else that you said in there. Um, oh, yeah, man. So from 28 to 60, you know, the heyday of Amos and uh, this Andrew fella. <laughs> um, 
like so they like went through like World War Two and like like the world changed quite a bit oh, from yeah. twenty eight to sixty. Mm-hmm. I mean, those were a pivotal thirty two years. Oh well, yeah. Well, not to mention just the fact that. I mean, it says right, one of the first lines in this article is that uh, Gazda and Carell were white actors familiar with minstrel traditions. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's problematic. And there's a lot of problematic things in this episode. <laughs> like, that's the first problematic thing in the episode of Golden Girls. Mm-hmm. There's a few more. But apparently they had started it off as a show called... While you're looking that up, can I tell you my least favorite thing about minstrel shows? <laughs> sure. <laughs> I, I don't know about your favorite show, but... The fact that they're only around every 28 days. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> yeah, know. but they could stick around for a full week. <laughs> right. <laughs> but then they stop going all together once you get older. So... <laughs> Get all red in the face. Yeah. <laughs> well, you did give a perfect follow-up. He was already laughing pretty good at his own joke, and then you gave an excellent follow-up to it. So that was a great one-two well, punch. Well, you don't have to gush, Alan. So, <laughs> it, was, no, you, it was a good joke followed by a great follow-up. So, um, But their original show was Sam and Hendry. I don't think he caught that. He didn't. The original show was <laughs> Sam and Hendry. What's that? Just moving on, you're not going to acknowledge his follow-up to the follow-up. No, I didn't hear his follow-up. Said, follow-up. You don't have to gush. Oh. <laughs> well, now <laughs> we're just getting <laughs> crude. <laughs> so, uh, so I did find the name of the original show, uh, Sam and Henry, and it was very popular. Uh, they wanted to take it syndicated, um, but they the network they were on refused, so they mm-hmm. quit the network. And then started up a new show, essentially the exact same mm-hmm. show, Amos yeah. and Andy, yeah. which they did uh, admit that it was the uh, name was inspired after hearing two elderly African Americans greet each other in an elevator. So that's where the names Amos and Andy came from. And then for the in- programs, is in- famous Amos one of the Amoses? I don't believe so. Yeah. He makes cookies. He does. <laughs> we just watched the episode of The Office where he's in that, and, <laughs> and he's coming in there to give a motivational speech, and they're just like, "Just give us the cookies." <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so the show uh, ran until, let's see, here we go, 70 stations. It was one of the first syndicated shows in the country as far as radio stations go. So we can thank Amos and Andrew for Mama's Family. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the, the overall arc of the story or the, the premise of it was that Amos Jones and Andy Brown worked on a farm near Atlanta, Georgia, and during the first week's episode, they made plans to find a better life in Chicago, despite warnings from a friend. With four ham and cheese sandwiches and $24, they bought train tickets and headed for Chicago, where they lived in a rooming house on State Street and experienced some rough times before launching their own business, the Fresh Air Taxi Company. Um, And they called it that because the first taxi they acquired had no windshield. And so, yeah, that was... Fresh air. (laughs) Went on, and apparently, like, there was a... It became also dramatic at a lot of points. It started yeah. off comedy, but the big runs of it were dramatic. Yeah. And it said that the story arc of Annie's romance uh, with Harlem beautician Madam Queen entranced some 40 million listeners. Um, uh-huh. Isn't that crazy that a radio show at a time yeah. when there weren't that many more? I mean, I know there was more than 40 million people, but that yeah, would yeah. be a large portion of the American population yeah. back then. Hell, that's a large portion now. Mm-hmm. You know, the biggest hit TV shows don't yeah. get 40 million yeah. people. It's like the Super Bowl. <laughs> like, how, like, what were they doing when the show ended? Like, were they still running the taxi company? or? Uh, I don't know. I mean, they went through several things, and they did say that 
although, which I mean, I'll get to this a little bit, mm-hmm. that, you know, of course, it was a very stereotypical mm-hmm. um, portrayal of black people. Yeah. And uh, they definitely got some protests and whatnot yeah. through, throughout the course of time. But I guess they did show or demonstrate more people in, I don't know. Uh, positive light? Yeah, or? positive mm-hmm. ways yeah. as far as, you know, businessmen and things of Upward that nature. mobility and all yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. And um, it's one of those, like The Office ran for, what, 10 years? Mm-hmm. Something like that. And the characters on there had, you know, they all had some modicum of success. Some of them stayed the exact same as far as, like, their role or right. whatever. But they at least had in their personal life some yeah. development or whatever. I can't imagine following a character for 32 years. Oh, I know. Can you imagine? <laughs> like, you'd really. That's, their life has been your life. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah, well, we gave a little description of each of the characters. Uh, naive but honest but honest Amos was hardworking, and after his marriage to Ruby Taylor in 1935, also a dedicated family man. Andy was a gullible dreamer with overinflated self-confidence who tended to let Amos do most of the work. And then it said their mystic Knights of the Sea Lodge leader, George Kingfish Stevens, would often lure them into get-rich-quick schemes and trick them into some kind of trouble. Mm-hmm. And those are the three main characters, although two of those characters were voiced by the same, same gotcha. voice actor. Um, th- there was opposition. First major one was in the uh, 1930s. Um, and then when the TV show came out, mm-hmm. they also got a lot of pushback from that. And that's eventually why it got canceled, even though it was mm-hmm. relatively successful in its couple seasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I did think this, just another part that's terrible, but they did have a couple films. In 1930, RKO Radio Pictures um, brought them to Hollywood to do Amos and Andy feature film, Check and Double Check, which mm-hmm. I guess was a catchphrase from the show. And uh, Gostin and Coral played Amos and Andy in blackface for that mm. particular movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and it said the it didn't film, fly, huh? Well, here's the, thing, the, the film pleased neither critics nor Gostin and Coral, uh, but briefly became Arkeo's biggest box office hit before King Kong. Nice. So the same the same studio that wow. released King yeah. Kong also released this movie in blackface. And it said that I, I guess the audiences were curious to see what the radio favorites looked like. And we're expecting to see African-Americans instead of white men in blackface. Mm. Uh, so that uh, definitely surprised their their mm-hmm. watchers. Um, mm-hmm. And then years later, Gostin was quoted as calling Check and Double Check just about the worst movie ever made. Yeah. So at least they realized that it was terrible. Um, so what's... I don't know. What? Nothing. <laughs> were you about to go on a racist tirade? Well, no, but I mean, like, <laughs> I was going to ask, like, so what's more, excuse me, so, like, what's more racist, like, the fact that, you know, they were doing this in blackface, or the fact that, like, people listening to the show thought that's how true black people spoke? Oh, it's definitely a bit of both, but I guess you could look and say, well, even if a black actor is doing mm-hmm. the voice, yeah. you could say, well, it's a characterization written by a white man, perhaps, mm-hmm. um, you know, you could come with some justification but yeah they're both quite racist yeah. uh i would say that the person mistaking someone who is trying to imitate a stereotype as mm-hmm. being that actual person mm-hmm. is less racist than the person doing the portrayal gotcha. so anyway that's at least my interpret in my opinion right. one other little tidbit about it the theme song mm-hmm. for both the radio and tv series was the perfect song by joseph carl brill Okay. Um, Brill had written the score from which this song is taken <laughs> uh, for the silent movie Birth of a Nation. Oh. Um, do you know what Birth of a Nation is, Ski? Uh, no, I do not. Birth of a Nation is a, a silent movie um, 
that uh, Lincoln has portrayed positively, mm-hmm. you, unusual for a narrative that promotes the lost cause ideology. Mm-hmm. Do you know the what lost that? Lost cause ideology. I can okay. assume that's slavery. Well, yeah, because it's it's uh, set in the Civil War. It's basically the lost cause ideology is essentially that slavery was good and moral because the uh, enslaved were happy and grateful, and it brought economic prosperity. And I don't doubt the last fact. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, for the for the people who were you know the. Yeah owners but it said that lincoln was portrayed positively which was unusual for that type of movie and that the film portrayed african americans many of whom were played by white actors in blackface as unintelligent and sexually aggressive towards white women and the film presented the ku klux klan as a heroic force necessary to preserve american values and a white supremacist social order so, and that's who did the theme song for the show and the uh, the radio show and the TV show. Real was, finger on the pulse of the nation. Yeah. Well, I mean, in fairness, the guy who did that did the theme for those, but he wasn't the one who created that particular movie. So, so that's the deep dive, Amos and Andy. So Amos and Andy joins Fess Parker. I have a, a little side uh, sidebar. Oh, go fact. ahead. Okay. So, <clears throat> you guys have both seen Pulp Fiction, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, they go to the fifties diner. Mm-hmm. Jack Rabbit Slims, right? Mm-hmm. Uma Thurman's character gets a milkshake, the $5 milkshake, right? Mm-hmm. The uh, waiter asks if you want uh, Martin Lewis or Amos and Andy. Mm-hmm. That's referring to Martin Lewis, which is a white comedy troupe, yep. versus Amos and Andy, who's a black comedy troupe. So vanilla or chocolate. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. I, I did not remember that tidbit from that movie. Did you have something you wanted to add to, Brent? I was going to. So Birth of a Nation, uh, directed by a... D.W. Griffin or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, not the actual D.W. Griffin. Uh, at the end of Back to the Future 3, the little boy in the Old West town mm-hmm. is D.W. Griffin. Oh, and really? Like when Marty he's, Marty says something about, you know, it'd be a great movie. And the little boy's like, what's a movie? <laughs> <laughs> and he explains it to him. And then the little boy goes up to make racist films. Oh, wow. So thanks, Marty. <laughs> <laughs> I always knew that Michael J. Fox is too good to be true. Mm-hmm. But, you know, well, up until, of course, the Parkinson's set on. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, so back into the episode. So our, uh, <laughs> That was definitely a... We fessed up. Yep. <laughs> So there, so you got a little extra info on a, a tiny tidbit from this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then, after that, Rose reveals that she was going to become bilingual to get a promotion at the grief center. Um, and Blanche replied, "Our second problematic thing of this mm-hmm. episode." Yeah. Uh, oh no, honey, don't do that. No job is worth having to date women. Mm-hmm. Uh, so assuming by yeah, yeah. by yeah the yeah. bilingual meant bisexual of course another one of Blanche's deranged <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah she's getting a little rosish in the way she's yeah. making some of these mistakes well so. she had that the first time um when they were talking about uh Jean came to town and they said that she was a lesbian and she was like oh Jamie Farr's one of them oh, yeah. and they're like no not Lebanese lesbian <laughs> like she didn't know what a lesbian was then and now she does but she just confused us to right. what it is I don't know. so uh, Blanche though does say the men go to night school smart men and nothing turns me on more than a smart man unless maybe it's a stupid man with good hands mm-hmm. <laughs> then uh, right after that Stan shows up to ruin their meal and likely the episode itself uh, <laughs> That's what he's good for. Yeah, that's pretty much his best or most consistent attribute anyway. (laughs) 
Um, he reveals to Dorothy that they're being audited and will likely have to pay a small fee mm-hmm. or possibly go to prison. Yep. Uh, yeah, one of those. Yeah, seems like a pretty wide range of possible outcomes Which for tax is, evasion. Yeah, pretty unlikely that you'd go to prison unless it's thousands upon thousands. Right. Exactly. The or directly, is, you know, like if you've been policing the government for years upon years. Yeah. Yeah, you really have to have hidden, I think, a lot of money from the government for it to go into, and also be very intentionally, you know, doing things to hide it um, in order for the government to actually try to send you to jail over tax evasion, not making mistakes or, you know, even somewhat intentional mistakes on your uh, taxes, I don't think. They got Capone, though, you know. Well, that's true, but I think Capone, (laughs) though, was probably millions and millions of dollars, not, you know, not uh, small sums. And, of course, all fraudulently uh, earned. After that, Rose starts talking about Stan leaves, you know, after, of course, getting uh, the business from Dorothy. And then Rose starts talking about Viking penalties, you know, for various things, eye for an eye. You know, if you (laughs) steal something, you get your hand cut off, whatever. And Sophia quips that uh, too bad there wasn't Vikings around when Stanley knocked up, uh, knocked up Dorothy. So uh, that in a Bobbit joke right there almost. Yeah. Well, that's I'm sure that's exactly where that was headed towards. So that ends act one. Then we jump into act two. Uh, Dorothy is gathering up receipts and Rose is practicing Spanish as she prepares to go to class. Dorothy says, gee, Rose, if I had my eyes closed, I'd swear I was in Ecuador. And then here in Dorothy's only Dorothy's portion of that particular exchange, uh, Sophia replies with my favorite ep- line of the episode. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, that was me. Yeah, um, she, yeah she was, was walking through the room. My favorite line as well. Yeah, that was excellent. Uh, Blanche walks in and Dorothy comments on the way she's dressed, which she said she looks like she was ready for a cocktail party, but I didn't feel like it was that um, fancy. I mean, it wasn't like a tight little black dress type of a thing. Yeah. But, it uh, had multiple like soirees and right. events. Yeah. yeah. I think any time where they're not wearing three layers of sweaters. <laughs> <laughs> then they're out pouring it up. <laughs> exactly. So, but yeah, Rose agrees, commenting, <clears throat> see mucho, mucho bazumas, <clears throat> which I doubt that's an actual Spanish word. I don't but, believe it is. Uh, Stan comes in with a trash bag full of receipts at that point, <clears throat> and uh, he mentions a terrible idea that he had about a tie bib that would be, you know, a, a small bib that would just cover your tie. Uh, to which Dorothy... Can I interject something? Yeah, certainly. Because you kind of glazed over. Yeah. Uh, you, I, I really liked the line you guys liked earlier about... Uh, Ecuador? Yeah, that, that one. But uh, when he walks in with the trash bag, he uh, it's full of his receipts. You know, mm-hmm. that they have to go over for the taxes, of course. Uh, and he says, our entire future's in here. And Dorothy says, how appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was probably my favorite line. That was a good one. Um then as she's going through the taxes trying to find receipts, I thought it was funny that one of the first things she looks through, she's like, what's this uh, receipt for $2,500 or whatever? And Stan immediately pulls out out of this bag full of receipts. Immediately. Yeah, the one <laughs> that, that they're looking for. So maybe it's this filing system, and I should give him more credit for, you know, just a, an unorthodox way to carry it. Um, yeah, we don't know. They could be in rubber bands inside. Right. And then... uh. After, you know, Dorothy chides him about the tie bib idea, he starts going into this um, on the waterfront type <laughs> monologue of, you know, I wanted to be somebody, I wanted to be a contender, um, that type of a thing. And then after some fighting and some uh, about some typical stand sleaziness, uh, Dorothy makes the second homophobic joke of the episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, stating that she hopes Stan goes to jail and that a big bald convict named Bubba to pick him as his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. So, 
And once again, this is a quite a problematic episode with uh, some of the it really was. references that wouldn't wouldn't yeah. hold water today. Who was the writer on this one, you said? Well, this one was Winifred Hervey, you know, which she wrote the last one I did. And I don't remember there being anything mm-hmm. particularly <laughs> problematic, but... Yeah. These things would certainly not be problematic by the time's standard, no, um, but they would not. be by today's. So yeah. they may I mean, still even go, you know, pass through. They would just be derided later. Right. Yeah. So. I mean, it's definitely a double standard. I mean, if if Dorothy's going to, if she's fine with Stan having to fend off unwanted sexual advances, mm-hmm. you think she'd have been fine with Blanche taking a Professor Cooper course? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, there it is. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're, <laughs> we're, we're well, getting she, there. Uh-huh. She was taking another uh, class, too, you know, <laughs> learning, learning Spanish mm-hmm. yep. of sorts. <laughs> so uh, Sophia walks in at this point, and Dorothy starts to explain why she is mad at Stan, and Sophia gives an implicit endorsement of non-consensual sexual relations, mm-hmm. at least within the confines of marriage. Um, she, she specifically says, Your father used to do things without telling me all the time. How do you think I got pregnant with your brother, Phil? Which, you know, again, you know, <laughs> uh, she didn't seem to be upset about it, but she definitely implies that it was okay um, that he took advantage of whatever situation. So then we get to the next scene. Uh, Dorothy and Stan are now at the IRS auditor's office, which to me looked like either a doctor's office or an insane asylum. It was practically <laughs> all white. Um, it was a really odd setting that they had this set up in. Um, I All imagine the, they just repurposed something that they oh already yeah, had. Yeah. And, well, and it just made to try to look at as general as you could as a federal type building, I guess. And then uh, Stam's trying to connect, I guess, <laughs> with uh, Wendell, their uh, officer, their, their auditor, uh, yeah. auditor. Yeah, there you go. Thanks. Because he's balding and uh, Stan has his toupee on at that point, but removes <laughs> it, you know, to show how they're alike. Uh, he talks about how. Comparing Baldwin to other minorities and telling Wendell, you know, who, again, is black, uh, that uh, he was part of the Rainbow Coalition. He wanted to make sure that he knew that. <laughs> so, you know, some mildly uh, racist things as well. So yeah. we get the whole gamut um, <laughs> in this episode. So Wendell now takes this trash bag of receipts or whatever mm-hmm. they had with him at the time and starts going through with an adding machine and then comes up with at the end of all that that even with their terrible system, that they owe the IRS $5,000 and that they'd each need to pay 2500 which mm-hmm. I thought seemed like a really round, exact number. Exactly. <laughs> you know, I don't think the IRS <laughs> just works on estimates. Yeah. Um, you know, they typically want let's your money just, down. Uh, to the, eh, we'll say 5000 Yeah, let's just call it that and we'll say it's mm-hmm. even. I mean, maybe if you're... I would imagine there are probably some negotiating that happens mm-hmm. during yeah. um, disputed audits or things yeah. like that. But not in a situation yeah, like he, that. He may even have some leeway to give him some some debt forgiveness or something. Yeah. But, yeah, I imagine it wouldn't be – I don't know. Maybe they that is part of the thing. They could round it down or something. But. Yeah. But yeah. Then the way Dorothy reacts is as if he said $5 million. So <laughs> yeah. She's like, $5,000? We don't have that kind of money. Um, I did enjoy the little exchange there. He says, uh, Uncle Sam doesn't like to hear that. And Dorothy doesn't enjoy saying it. Yeah. Um, I thought Dorothy. she said Aunt Dorothy. What's that? I thought you said Aunt Dorothy. Oh, did you say like Aunt say? Dorothy? Aunt Dorothy doesn't oh, like okay. Santa. <laughs> oh, well, that's even better then. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, that was probably my favorite part of Wendell. <laughs> he was underused. I wish he was in more of the episode because I, I liked him. But it was I his wish only they could scene. all get audited at some point. Yeah, that would be good. And then uh, Stan begins to weep like the pathetic loser that he is. I'm stating that they're going to jail. Why are you so anti-Stan? He's just my least favorite character on the Golden Girls. Um, I, I really, like I said, I think if it was a 
portrayed differently or a different actor. It probably just portrayed differently. The actor's probably a fine actor, yeah. but I just don't like Stan as a character. I think he portrays him well as a dislikable person. Yeah, I guess so. Yes. He's certainly a foil, but um, yeah. But yeah. So Dorothy double downs on her earlier comment, telling Stan, uh, "That's right, Stanley." And please let me know where you and Bubba register for your China. So, again, homophobic, but that one was a better joke overall. Yeah. I uh, I thought it was great. Like when she leaves the room right after that, she kind of slams the door behind her. Mm. And to something uh, Brent said earlier, like as she's leaving, I noticed that like her flowing robes <laughs> 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 almost get caught in the door. Oh, like, yeah. it's, it's, it's I almost wish like I could. Darth Vader. I've got a cape. Right. <laughs> but it's just her like, you call it a shirt? Right. You call it a jacket? I don't know. It's, it's multi-purpose. It's, um, it's her normal kind of garb though. Right. Good mm-hmm. for the Miami heat at least. Yeah. <laughs> so now uh, we're moving into act three at this point. Uh, seeing one of this, Rose is in the kitchen studying, and Blanche reveals that I was giving Professor Cooper a raw deal all along. Um, yeah. Which is why I said fuck, well, I guess I said damn you, Blanche. Um, <laughs> but either would be uh, applicable. She hands Rose the answers to the test uh, that she obtained by promising the teacher that she would sleep with them. Yep. So, so yeah, apparently, uh, Professor Cooper, maybe I have been too hard on him. And, <laughs> you know, Blanche was giving off a vibe maybe that we didn't see completely um, mm-hmm. in the well, episode. Well, we saw. She yeah. flirted with them <laughs> extensively. <laughs> so basically, he called her on her bluff is what you're saying? Yeah. In, in this case, she says she does not plan to sleep with the teacher, but she's just going to tell him that she is mm-hmm. um, yeah. in order to get the answers to the test. Yeah. But all he did was reciprocate the witty banter. There is nothing worse in my life than to find out that you were right and I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I still think I, I I still think most people would agree with my stance on that initial, but Blanche certainly hurts her case in a court of law yeah. Um, uh, yeah. at this point. So, yeah. Well, in the first class, she was legitimately trying to get a good grade on her own merit. I think. Yeah. This time, she couldn't care less. She's just there to get some dude. Which, if that's the case, why does she care what grade she gets on the test? Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like she's going to be using this towards yeah, like a towards future degree. No, no. Spanish is the loving tongue. Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, you know, Rose discloses that she decided to never cheat again after realizing that animal cruelty had drawbacks. Uh, <laughs> Did she not learn that after they slaughtered those minks? Well, she learned this early on, but apparently it didn't carry <laughs> yeah. through with her. Because she said when she was a, a child, she had fed her prized lamb BBs, essentially to fatten it up for a contest that she really mm-hmm. wanted to win. And the way that she ends the story, you don't really know for sure if the lamb died or mm-hmm. just shit out all the BBs in front <laughs> of the judges. But somehow I'm or another. I'm guessing the second. Because she says that if he could have held out just a little bit longer, she would have won that contest. But like I said, it was kind of a vague, left up to the listener to yeah. or the, the viewer Again, to fill it I in. I bring up poop is funny. So. Oh, poop is funny. There, there's no <laughs> doubt about that. Uh, no one's that's not in dispute so then dorothy Poop's comes, not always funny it's usually funny it's frequently <laughs> funny i'll say that much uh, so dorothy comes in and she's worried about the money um, but makes a sarcastic joke about uh, michael jackson being able to buy the remains of the elephant man mm-hmm. and then in a reference to the 2500 dollars, this is another line i really liked uh sophia says to dorothy i wish i had a pussycat and dorothy replies i know ma if you had it you'd give it to me to which Sophia then <laughs> follows up, don't put words on my mouth. I said I wish I had it. <laughs> and then after, the friends offered help. And again, so Dorothy states she has half the money. So she's down to yeah. needing like 1200 bucks yeah. or mm-hmm. so. Her friends offer to help, to which she turns them down. 
and says that... Uh, well, does Blanche really offer? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, Blanche certainly makes it makes you know that if she does accept the offer that she's going to get a lot of shit. Mm-hmm. This is $1,200, and I grant $87, $1,200 then is a bit different than it is now, yeah. but you're three people living in a house, or four people living in a house together. Surely it wouldn't be that Herculean of an effort uh-huh. over a month to come up with that amount of money. Well, Let a couple of of bills have, slide. <laughs> you know, Three of the four have jobs. Yeah, yeah, but apparently they just have absolutely nothing <laughs> set aside. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, Dorothy says that uh, she only has half the money and her only option is to start selling some of her stuff, to which Sophia <laughs> pipes in, hold it, no daughter of mine is selling her stuff. <laughs> and this is another great line. It's a sin, it's a crime, and let's face it, Dorothy, lately you can't give it away. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she goes on to her... favorite episode line. <laughs> yeah, it is a really good one. Um, but she goes on to mention that three things she's learned in life, hold fast to your friends, I'll agree with her there, there's no such thing as security. Seems like a pretty accurate thing to, to keep as a yeah. life lesson. And number three, don't go see Ishtar. Mm-hmm. So Ishtar was a, a big bomb movie that was around. Never seen Ishtar. Neither have I, but apparently it had a high budget and did very poorly in the mm-hmm. box office. I guess critics are split on it as far as if it's good or not, but it definitely did very poorly. Do you guys even know what it's about? I don't. Um, it's directed by Eileen May and... I want to say it was her second movie, her final movie that she directed. Um, but Warren Beatty and Dustin Hoffman, I believe they're actors. I believe it, they are too. And then they get stuck <laughs> in the, they they portray actors in the movie. Okay. And <laughs> they're in some desert production that ends up, you know, going south. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So then that, that ends that scene, and then we go into scene two where they're in the pawn shop now uh, with Dorothy as what looks like a box of junk, like this mm-hmm. one small box of, now granted, I'm sure some of these, mm-hmm. you know, silver things or whatever she has could have yeah. some value, um, but the uh, pawnbroker only offers her $100 for the box, barely taking a cursory glance at the box. Yeah. Um, but go ahead. I was going to say, it seems like most of the good stuff would have been sold in their yard sale a few weeks back. <laughs> yeah, you think so. <laughs> um, uh, but then... Uh, she is eventually convinced to sell the ring that Stan gave her, um, which I thought was like she actually wore it on her ring finger, like on her left hand. So no wonder she's not getting dates if people think she's married anyway because right. she's wearing this ring. Um, and she sells it for $1,200, so that, that'll okay. square her up to give her enough money to pay off the IRS. So that ends that, and then we finish it back in the living room. Uh, Rose and Blanche have uh, dropped out of their class, and Rose states that she can kiss the promotion goodbye because Norwegians are notoriously bad at Spanish. And uh, Blanche laments that the only cute guy in the class was likely not into ladies. I think she mentioned that he had, was uh, scribbling a man's name in, uh, in his notebook, which I'm thinking, how old is this man that she's uh, <laughs> admiring his attractiveness, that he's there doodling another well, person, how, how, man or woman? How name. close is she sitting to him that she can be seeing this, too? Well, you know, it is. It is Maybe she's door, stalking is, him a bit. Uh, Blanche. Yeah. Back in 1987, um, listeners may not know this, but you could be closer than six feet to a person. Oh, that's yeah. crazy. I know. It's wild. And what about the disease, Brent? Share sauces and everything. There was all <laughs> kinds of stuff that was going on Sadly, in 87. People throwing their clam sauce all over town. <laughs> <laughs> so then uh, Do- Stan darkens the doorstep once again and uh, ends up giving Dorothy back the ring that she had pawned. Mm-hmm. He decided to sell his fancy car. He discussed earlier in the episode that yeah. he had bought in, what was it? A, a Corvette. Corvette, because yeah. um, that was a real mm-hmm. chick magnet. Yeah. I think we mentioned that in our last episode. 
Uh, but uh, he decided to sell that car to get the money for the IRS. Mm-hmm. And again, both these people at their age, if they don't have $5,000 they can come up with mm-hmm. to pay a debt, it, it does seem like they made some, a lot of really questionable decisions <laughs> throughout their lives. Yeah. Um, well, then Dorothy even mentioned that she couldn't get a loan. But I'm like, why? Well, I mean, why I can't she? probably she doesn't have enough income, apparently. I mean, maybe the yeah. substitute teaching game was kind of dry at the time, so maybe. she yeah. couldn't even get a personal loan. But And plus, I mean, a woman of her age trying to take out a five-year loan or right. whatever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they might you be know. reluctant. Yeah. And but with no collateral. Exactly. So. But, I mean, as far as your previous point, um, I mean, she was a teen mom, yeah. so obviously, you know, her life decisions maybe weren't the best. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Started off uh, a little questionable exactly. and maybe continued that way. Exactly. Um, so he decided to sell the car in order to get the money to both pay the IRS back and to get the uh, ring back from mm-hmm. the back from the pawn shop. Yeah. Um, and then during a, a tender moment, uh, Stan suggests that maybe uh, he and Dorothy hit the sheets. Um, yeah. And then just off screen... Dorothy's doing something that's causing Stan pain, uh-huh. and that's what uh, ends the episode. I don't know what part of Stan she was gripping or doing whatever to, <laughs> but uh, she definitely seemed to maybe be... Maybe using f- some nails. Yeah, maybe. Because I would think they wouldn't go as salacious as that, like, she was gripping them by the man parts. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, you can definitely leave it open for interpretation. I don't know. Maybe she uh, knew that was a possibility, so she loaded up on cheesecake beforehand. <laughs> yeah, <could> <laughs> <laughs> So we had a... Uh, Three guest stars in this one. Um, Mr. Escobar yeah. was uh, played by Tony Perez. 103 mm-hmm. credits to his name. Recently, he was in uh, Once Upon a Time as Prince Henry, for anybody who watched that show. Mm-hmm. He was also in eight episodes of If Loving You Is Wrong and 21 episodes of Hill Street Blues. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Richard Penn played uh, Wendell Murray, the mm-hmm. IRS agent. Yeah. 77 credits. And I really liked him in this little role, yeah. but he didn't have a real extensive... I mean, 77 credits, but it was all minor stuff. Yeah. Probably best remembered for his uh, role as Sergeant Schwartz in Lobster Man from Mars would be my guess. Yeah. So, uh, of course, I think a, a cult favorite of all of ours, right? Yeah. Brent, do you want to take over the duties of asking the questions now, or do you want me to continue on? Um, no, I can go ahead and do that. It's okay. part of my role as podcast host. <laughs> so, yeah, what did you think of the episode, Ski? I liked it. It wasn't definitely my favorite, but uh, I thought it was pretty decent. Mm-hmm. I'd say it's... Average or slightly above. Okay. So if I were to propose a scale of maybe like one slice of cheesecake to like eight slices of cheesecake, oh. how many slices would you give this particular episode? I would go, I would go 4.5. I think okay. right, slightly above average. Okay. Gotcha. Um, Alan, same scale, same question. See, it's funny because normally <laughs> when, when I'm, when I'm thinking about an episode, when I'm, you know, kind of putting together my thoughts, I usually think... Who was the character that carried that episode the most? Okay. The MVP, if you will. Um, and that's usually what I think about first. But if I were just talking about my rating, if I was putting the cart before the horse, mm-hmm. yeah. then I would probably... <laughs> I, I only gave it a 2.5. 2.5? Um, yeah, I thought the, the there wasn't enough funny in it. There was so much problematic humor in it. That is true. And then in addition to that, you know, I've always said, I, I'm just not a fan of Stan. Um, yeah. And so he always brings down the episode. And, and the... If the IRS had said it was a big, if they had said it was fifty thousand dollars, yeah, and then Stan sells his Corvette and gets the fifty thousand, you could go with the same storyline almost, <laughs> yeah. but at least it'd be more believable. They would really be freaked out about coming yeah. up with twenty five grand each. Exactly. But just the fact that it was such a, you know, relatively reasonable amount yeah. to come up with in thirty days, 
and the fact too that even after the 30 days he's like okay well we're going to take some actions at mm-hmm. that point that you know to it's Maybe not like a, if you income. don't give it in 30 days you're going to jail it's like if you don't in 30 days then we're going to do some other things you have more time essentially <laughs> to yeah. pay it off and then eventually yeah you know jail so those things combined made it a below average episode for me. So only two and a half slices. If, yeah. if I were rating it on the scale you suggested. Yeah. yeah. And I'm the same. Uh, I just give it two slices of cheesecake myself. Um, so I'm at two slices. You're at two and a half slices. Mm-hmm. Ski, you're at four and a half slices. So what, you know, well, character I, I, or line Alan's gonna probably, makes yours. Alan's going to grill me for this, but I actually, my favorite character was Stan. And the reason I gave it a higher rating is because... Uh-huh. I thought the uh, thing at the end was uncharacteristic of him mm-hmm. where he bought the ring back and sold something of his that was important to be kind. And I thought that that was elevated his character, in my opinion. Very nice. See, one thing, if you spend enough time with Ski, mm-hmm. you know, if you hear him over time, you know, maybe you should seek out ways to do so. Mm-hmm. You'll find that he's a man <laughs> who seems to try to find the best in people. Yeah. So, like, whether it's a man trying to, uh, you know, chide in his daughter for her lack of sexual prowess mm-hmm. or... Um, or in this case, a man, you know, making up for what was clearly his mistake by trying to sell something. Um, and not his mistake, his fraudulent nature. Okay. But gonna... he's trying to find good in, in everybody. And I appreciate that about uh, about this individual. Okay. I'm going to take umbrage with the first part of what you said here. Okay. Okay. Because you're sort of referencing something that happened in a previous episode of the Golden Girls. Mm-hmm. And I think the Golden Girls play fast and loose with what is canon and what is not. Okay. So I think you can make the argument that if it did not happen in this particular episode, it never happened. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so which character do you think was uh, the best? I mean, I, I think Dorothy was the best in okay. this one. I thought she had some good funny lines. There were some others, yeah. but the B story of the Spanish stuff mm-hmm. kind of fell flat yeah. for me. And... Uh, Sophia oftentimes in these kind of episodes will pull it out, but she just didn't have enough yeah. enough opportunities for yeah. me. So I, I think if I was going to pick who I thought carried the episode, I would go with Dorothy. See, I'd go with uh, Sophia um, just because she had um, my two favorite lines. Um, and my favorite line um, was, you know, you know, that was me, you know, in reference to yeah. how effect this felt like, you know, Ecuador um, there in their living room. Did you have a favorite line, Ski? Um, oh yeah, I mentioned earlier like the uh, the thing about the trash bag. Mm-hmm. He said my our whole future is in here, mm-hmm. and Dorothy's like that's appropriate. <laughs> and I'm, I'm on the same page with you as far as that that was me line. Okay, or sorry that was me. Yeah. So it seems like I mean you were at two and a half, I was at two. We both had the same favorite line. Seems like you were in the minority on this one. Ski. I definitely. Excuse us, yeah. a love fest for Stan over there. I know. <laughs> so. I'm not sure if I can invite you back next time. I, I apologize for letting you down. I'll think about it. Um, so anyways, I guess that's about it for this particular episode of Sophia's Choice, a Golden Girls podcast hosted by Brent. Um, I'd like to again thank my special guest, Ski and Thank you Alan, for having us. And I hope you both stay golden. You as well. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, thanks so much for downloading today. If you enjoyed that opening, you should definitely check out Ashley Jade on YouTube. She has a bunch of awesome compositions on there. If you want to get in touch, you can email us at sophiaschoicepodcast at gmail.com. You can also reach us on Twitter at sophiaschoicepc. We plan to have a new episode out every Monday. 
If you have a moment, give us a rating on iTunes or wherever else fine podcasts are downloaded. And of course, stay golden. Welcome back to a special postscript after party for this week's episode of Sophia's Choice, a Golden Girls podcast. Um, we'd like to apologize for our, to our listeners. Our format was slightly different this week. Things went south and, well, mistakes were made. So we just want to take this moment to, you know, apologize uh, for wasting your time, for adding on this additional postscript, and for, you know, ending the previous episode without the customary Stay Golden Coco. That mistake was entirely my fault, and, you know, I'll fall on my sword for that one. So without further ado, Stay Golden Coco.